0: On February 4th, The Minds of Madness is set to release an investigative four-part series centered on a cold case from nearly four decades ago. At first, it was just, my mom's gone. And then it became, you know, your mom was taken by a bad man.
1: They found video of him killing
2: women.
0: If you'd ever watched any uh, episodes of Breaking Bad, that's exactly what you would see.
2: He buried these 11 women and kept going out there. He made a road going out there.
0: You got this dude saying, hey, I'm going to show your family these pictures and like he's secretly taping her. The cops don't care. We're nothing to them. Dumped her like a piece of garbage, you know. I don't see anything that screams there's two people doing this. I never thought anything was going to come of this case. Ever. Listen to the Minds of Madness series Who Killed Jennifer starting February
2: 4th, wherever you get your podcasts. This week's story is most likely one you have all heard of. I generally shy away from the more high-profile stories, but I feel that his story has been forgotten over recent years and there has been developments that I feel are important to share. Thank you to all those who have suggested Andrew's story. There have been quite a few. Andrew's photo was immediately recognisable, as is the shot from the CCTV footage of him leaving the train station to seemingly vanish into thin air. This is a story of a boy who was described by his family as a homebody. A boy who shunned all social media. A boy with a perfect school attendance record. But then his personality changed and he wanted more independence, which in itself isn't strange. He was a teenager now. But what would make this boy destined for greatness, skip school, withdraw hundreds of pounds from his bank account and buy a one-way ticket to London, never to return and never to be seen again? Is this a story of a runaway, the pressure to be perfect being too much for this high achiever? Or is this a story of a boy confused with his sexuality, and not wanting to disappoint his religious family, he ended his own life? Or was Andrew groomed, groomed by someone he met on his walks to school or by other means unbeknownst to his family, and he was lured to London for nefarious purposes? This is Andrew's story. Andrew
0: Gosden is an intelligent 14-year-old and he disappeared two weeks ago, he hasn't been seen since. Every day his mother is out searching for him, putting up posters and hoping for sightings. He's one of 30,000 people who are reported missing in London every year, as Tom Edwards reports.
1: Could you have seen this boy in this area, do you come here regularly? Is it possible you've seen this boy? Could you possibly have seen this boy at all in this vicinity?
0: in the crowds around south kensington a mother is looking for her son she's been searching for 10 days
1: it really has been quite devastating because it's such a shock and we just haven't got a blueprint for how to handle this kind of situation really sometimes putting in 15-hour days just walking chatting to the general public Um, staff in the museums or any places where I know he's likely to have been that he enjoys coming to.
0: Andrew Gosden is from Doncaster and 14 years old. He loves museums and visited the capital regularly. A gifted student, he withdrew £200 from his savings account and was last seen on CCTV boarding a train to the capital.
1: It's estimated
0: that 30,000 people a year are reported missing in the capital. The vast majority of them are under the age of 18. 90% are found again within 24 hours, and that's why police are becoming increasingly concerned about the case of Andrew Gosden.
2: Andrew Paul Gosden was born July 10, 1993, to parents Kevin and Gladys Gosden. Andrew was the second child born to the couple. They already had a daughter, Charlotte, who was a few years older than Andrew. Something that will come up later in the story, and may or may not be important, depending on the theory you subscribe to in this story. But the family were practising Anglican Christians. Both Andrew and Charlotte were baptised. But Kevin and Gladys would later publicly state that while they were religious, they really didn't enforce any religious beliefs onto their children choosing to allow them to find their own way and make their own choices. In 2007, when our story takes place, the family were living in suburban Doncaster, South Yorkshire, in the small suburb of Balby. Fourteen-year-old Andrew, or Rue as he was affectionately nicknamed by his loved ones, Andrew was a student at the Macaulay Catholic High School, where he had an 100% attendance record. Andrew was crazy smart too, He was part of the Young, Gifted and Talented program. In the year he went missing, Andrew was expected to achieve straight A's in his GSCE exams, with the dreams of going to Cambridge for college. Andrew was a homebody, and preferred staying home and playing the Xbox and listening to heavy metal music, than going out. He was a member of the Cub Scouts. However, just before he went missing, he told his father he didn't want to go anymore. Andrew wasn't overly social. Sure, he had friends, but he really only saw them at school, not after school or on weekends. He just stayed home with his family. His parents have said Andrew didn't appear to be bullied or depressed. However, I don't know if we can definitively say that. Andrew was small for his age and appeared younger than his age. He wore glasses. He was deaf in his left ear, and his ears looked different. They have a double ridge." Unfortunately, kids are mean, it doesn't take much for a child to be a target for bullying. And this wouldn't be the first time for parents to think their child is happy when, in reality, this isn't the case. I guess another tick in the maybe-something-more-was-going-on-in-the-background-of-Andrew's-life that maybe his parents didn't know about. Andrew had been acting differently since school started back the week prior. Twice in the eight days since school returned – Andrew had chosen to walk the four miles home instead of taking the school bus, as he normally would in previous school years. From my research, I couldn't find any explanation for this. I don't know if Andrew's parents asked why he was doing this, and even if they did, there is no guarantee Andrew was honest and open with them, especially if something was going on like bullying or if he had met someone. But I'll put a pin in that for a bit later when we talk about the theories in this story. September 13th, 2009, the night before Andrew vanished forever. Kevin and Gladys would later recall there was nothing out of the ordinary for the family. Kevin and Andrew did a jigsaw for about an hour or so. Then they all ate dinner together. Andrew offered to wash the dishes before watching TV with Gladys for a time before going to bed. The next morning, Gladys would later recall, it was a struggle getting Andrew out of bed and ready for school, which was unlike him. Andrew was generally a morning person and he enjoyed school. As I said, he had a 100% attendance record and he was smart and focused on his education. But that particular morning he was grumpy and didn't appear to want to go to school.
0: I just said, all right, you off now? Yes, he said. See you later. Yep. And that was the last conversation I ever had with him.
2: Everyone leaves the house by eight a.m. Gladys and Kevin leave for work, and Charlotte and Andrew head to school. Andrew was caught on the neighbor's surveillance camera walking towards the bus stop in his school uniform. However, he does not get on his school bus. Instead, Andrew stops at a nearby convenience store and used the ATM to withdraw two hundred pounds. This was the most he could withdraw from his bank account. He had two hundred and fourteen pounds in his account. But you could only withdraw from this ATM and multiples of 20, so he took out as much as he could. The neighbour's surveillance camera caught him returning home soon after. After this, Andrew changed out of his uniform, putting it in the washing machine and hanging his blazer over the back of the chair. He dressed into a black slipknot t-shirt, black jeans and black sneakers, grabbing his black canvas satchel with heavy metal and rock band patches on it. He placed inside this satchel his wallet, house keys, and portable PlayStation console, or PSP as we'll call it in this story. Interestingly, he does not take a jumper or jacket. He doesn't take with him his PSP charger, and despite withdrawing £200 from his bank account, he didn't take with him the £100 he had in his bedroom that he'd gotten for his birthday. What this tells me, in my opinion... Andrew wasn't running away, and he was planning on returning after not too long. He didn't stay home long. This wasn't a sick day hanging at home and gaming. Shortly after arriving, Andrew leaves again. He was caught again by the neighbour's surveillance camera, headed towards the direction of Westfield Park on Littlemore Lane. A family friend would later report to police seeing Andrew there, and he was still at the park when they left. I'm assuming Andrew did this so the family friend wouldn't see where he was going. After the coast was clear, Andrew continued on his way to Doncaster train station, arriving at 8.30am. Here, he purchased a one-way ticket to London, costing £31.40. The ticketer would later report to police she remembered the interaction with Andrew because she tried to sell him a return ticket because it was only 50 pence more, but he insisted on only wanting a one-way ticket. Andrew's family would later say this wasn't at all strange because he had family in London that maybe he was planning on visiting. Also, my theory here is, if Andrew was planning on seeing a band playing in London that evening, which seems to be the prevailing theory discussed on True Crime and Unsolved Mysteries forums, because there were several bands playing that night that Andrew was a fan of, then I think to when I see a concert. They generally end 10.30, 11pm. You decide to stick around and maybe wait to see the band leave afterwards, maybe hoping to get an autograph or a photo. Then by the time Andrew gets back to King's Cross Station, it would have been after midnight and that return ticket would no longer be any value to him. Regardless the reason for the one-way ticket, at 9.35am Andrew boarded the train headed to King's Cross Station. He was alone. A woman would later come forward to police. She sat next to Andrew for the trip, the two never exchanging any words. He spent the entire trip preoccupied playing a game on his PSP. By eleven twenty five AM he would be caught walking out of King's Cross train station. This is the last confirmed sighting of Andrew Gosden. It would be around this time the school marked Andrew absent, and as per the school policy at the time, the school secretary attempted to call his parents. But in an era that could have determined Andrew's destiny, there was some mismatch in the school records, and the parents of another student was called and a voicemail left. The Gosdens, none the wiser, their son wasn't at school that day. Kevin and Gladys arrived home from work and got ready for dinner. The family had guests over for dinner that night, and they were distracted preparing for that, all the while believing Andrew was simply in his room gaming like he normally would be after school. But when they went to fetch him for dinner at 7pm, Andrew wasn't in his room. He was nowhere in the home. Gladys and Kevin frantically called neighbours and family friends anywhere Andrew could possibly be, but no one had seen him that day. This is when they realised Andrew had skipped school and they reported him missing to police.
0: In the very first moment, I think you just realise, well, they're not in the house and, and you, you don't panic at that point. You start trying the logical alternatives, you know, is he to friends or whatever. Um, but by the time you get to... you know, we don't know where he is, we can't find where he is, nobody seems to know where he is. That's when you really start panicking. And it's a bit like when you've got a small child or a toddler and you lose sight of them on the beach or at the shopping centre or something and your heart's in your mouth and it's just this absolute panic grips you, oh my goodness, I can't see them, are they safe, are they all right? and you're looking everywhere and running around. And that's, that for me was that first reaction. Um, which to some extent persists on and on and on because you've always got that thing coming back at you well, is he right? are they alive or dead, you know um,
1: and I think at first it's almost like disbelief that this cannot be your life and your story because you haven't got anything to reference it with Mm. So you just feel very distressed because you've got nothing to to hang it on, no peg to think, I've experienced this before or this is how I need to behave or how I need to be. Um, And it's just very raw and quite distressing and confusing.
2: The police didn't initially seem all that concerned. And it would be the family who got neighbours and friends together and they searched the routes Andrew would have taken that day to the bus stop and school, looking for any answers as to where he was. Three hours after they realised him missing, the family had already produced missing person flyers to hand out to anyone they could. The family had publicly criticised the police investigation, stating the police focused on them first instead of searching for Andrew. Andrew, that nothing of substance started in the investigation until any likelihood of the family being involved was ruled out. The Gosdens claimed they were interviewed numerous times, which isn't anything unusual. We see that a lot in missing children cases. But allegedly, the police interrogated Kevin Gosden, trying to get him to confess he was responsible for whatever happened to his son. Adding onto those criticisms was the fact the CCTV footage from buses and the train wasn't requested in almost a month. And this is when the photo you see online of Andrew leaving the train station was circulated around the news media. Andrew's family were that frustrated with the lack of movement in finding their son. They would travel to London themselves to hand out flyers and to look for Andrew. As we know, Andrew was a massive heavy metal music fan, and one of his favourite bands, Sixth, was performing in London that night. And that maybe Andrew went. The whole it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission thought process. Kevin and Gladys would publicly plead to those who went to that concert that night to look at their photos to see if they could see Andrew. Unfortunately, no one ever came forward with any useful information.
0: Certainly, if anybody did recall anything that time and and that would lead us to what did happen to him obviously we would love them to communicate that completely confidentially Um, the other possibility of course is that Andrew is still alive and well um, and in that sort of instance we figure well he must therefore be living in some kind of community somebody must know him so we would ask the public to look at things like his age-progressed images, to look for the little feature. He has an unusual right ear and so on. And again, in confidence to forward any information on to missing people.
2: By the one-year anniversary, there had been 122 possible sightings with more than half coming from London and Bristol, where Andrew was last seen, so that makes sense. A handful of these sightings from soon after his disappearance were deemed credible, as they confirmed the same mannerisms Andrew had. One witness claimed to have seen Andrew at a pizza hut in Oxford Street, two and a half miles away from King's Cross Station, but police allegedly didn't follow any of these up. Other sightings of Andrew sleeping in the park, getting off a train and walking around the streets of London in the week following his disappearance, a month after he was last seen. A woman said she saw a boy matching Andrew's appearance in Covert Gardens but wearing warmer clothes. She said she asked the boy if he was Andrew Gosden, but he denied being the missing boy. Allegedly, it took police six weeks to follow up on this sighting. A couple of leads in particular that were promising came in November 2008. A man went into the West Midland Police Station. Now, this police station is unmanned. And it has an intercom where you speak into, and a police officer comes over to speak to whoever you are. And this is what happened in this case. A man spoke into the intercom, stating he had some information about Andrew's disappearance. But by the time the officer came to the station, the man was gone. Police appealed for the man to come back to them, but he never did. Around the same time, the BBC received an anonymous letter. The letter spoke of seeing Andrew in Shrewsbury. Again, an appeal for the letter writer to come forward resulted in nothing. So it's unknown if the letter writer and the other man were one and the same. Or are these two different sightings of maybe Andrew? September 2017. For the 10th anniversary of Andrew's disappearance, the charity Missing Persons came forward, arranging new missing persons advertisements and billboards to renew interest in the case. And this was all a part of the Find Every Child campaign. The band Muse also helped publicise the missing persons case. South Yorkshire Police also renewed their investigation, under the belief Andrew may still be alive. And this reopening of the cold case brought forward new tips. June 2018. A witness contacted police stating they had an online conversation with someone named Andy Rue. Andy Roo wrote in the chat he needed £200 to pay rent as his boyfriend had recently left him. Someone in this chat group offered to send him the money. The kindness of strangers never ceases to amaze me. There is still some good in this world. But Andy Roo said this wasn't going to work because he didn't have a bank account. And this was because he left home at 14 years old. Now, police did investigate this, at last. But it's not clear if they found Andy Roo. Obviously, if they did find him, it wasn't Andrew Gosden, unfortunately. September 2019. An age progression photo was made public showing what Andrew may have looked like in his mid-twenties, showing him with glasses and without, long and short hair. Andrew's father, Kevin, appealed to the gay community of London for help. Because there is a theory out there that Andrew had been struggling with his sexuality and this caused him to run away. Quote, we are a pretty open family. So we wondered if he was gay or struggling with his sexuality and found it too awkward to raise with us. If he is gay, we don't have any issue with it. He is loved unconditionally by both my wife and me and his sister. Unquote. But despite their openness, maybe this was a possibility. It is an interesting theory. As I mentioned at the top of the story, the Gosdens were religious, and maybe Andrew thought he was letting them down for being gay. And since Andrew did know London well, he would have known there was a large gay community there, and maybe he felt drawn and welcomed there, and then he went there to figure everything out.
0: In photo albums, Andrew is forever young. But age-progression images show what he might look like now, and the rare distinctive double ridge on his right ear could still lead to him being recognised. His family will always hold on to hope. If you give up hoping, it feels like the same as saying, ''I've just stopped loving you and I don't care anymore.'' So, actually, unless you can somehow reach the point where you go, ''We never loved him, we don't love him, we don't care.'' It's impossible to give up that hope that one day you'll have some kind of answer.
2: And now is as good a time as any to discuss theories. There are many theories as to what happened to Andrew. Unfortunately, none are positive. Because Andrew was only 14 years old and he wasn't a mature, streetwise 14 either. Andrew's father, Kevin, described Andrew as absent minded and naive that he was sheltered and not particularly aware of the dangers around him. And this may have made him more vulnerable. He was quiet and shy and immature and appeared a lot younger than his 14 years. This may have made him easy prey for a child sex predator. I need to play devil's advocate here though. Andrew might have been naive, but he was a clever kid and he was a teenager. And teenagers do tend to hide things from their parents especially things they think their parents won't approve of. I think back to the many decades ago when I was a teenager. My grandparents had no idea what I was doing online. And I get my grandparents in the late 90s, they really aren't as tech-savvy as parents are today. But even saying that, there are some things my kids can do online that I have no idea how they do it. But despite living with my grandparents who are true crime-obsessed, so I knew the dangers... I still met up with people online when I was in my early teens, a couple of times. Luckily for me, nothing happened. But my grandparents didn't know. And where there's a will, there's a way. And if Andrew wanted to hide something from his parents, he could have. Andrew apparently had several phones that he lost. But did he really lose these phones? Or was he using at least one of them to communicate with someone he didn't want his parents to know about? Or did he possibly not lose them, but sell the phones, meaning he had a lot more than the £200 we all think he has? Or was he bullied and someone stole the phones from him and he was too embarrassed or scared to tell his parents? But then that person followed him on the day he went missing and did some sort of harm to him. And is that why he no longer wanted to take the bus and he had been walking to school? Posts on True Crime and Unsolved Mysteries Forum theorised he did this to spend time with someone, but what if he was walking to school to try and avoid someone who had been threatening him or bullying him? Did Andrew run away to start a new life? This seems unlikely given his age, unless this is an Alicia Navarro situation and he was helped by someone older who had groomed him. I actually thought of Andrew when Alicia surfaced. However, Andrew would be 30 years old now. I would think that if he was still alive, he would have contacted his parents and sister by now. His parents have said there is nothing Andrew could have done that they cannot forgive him for. They regularly sit for interviews with the news media and push on their website for Andrew. But they love and miss him and they want him back. Did Andrew suicide? Did he plan to end his own life and wanted to spend the final day in his favourite city? but then why hasn't he ever been found? A person can only hide themselves so well. And given Andrew's young age in London as a city, I would think hiding spots to not be found 17 years later, I don't know, it seems unlikely. And that brings us back to the theory that I think is widely acceptable as the most probable, that he was lured to London by someone who groomed him. Maybe he thought the person was his age and they really weren't, Maybe someone at the concert he may or may not have went with saw this young and naive teen and something nefarious happened to him after that. Andrew's family do believe Andrew may have went to London for a concert, or maybe even just to play hooky for the day and see the sights. His family say that Andrew did know the public transport system of London well. So, did someone see this young-looking kid walking around on his own, and then take advantage of Andrew's naivety? either way this theory does not end well for Andrew. But if this was the case, someone knows something and hasn't come forward. It is my hope that the guilt will one day drive this person or people to come forward. Andrew's family truly deserves some closure, to know what happened to their son.
0: You kind of feel like, well I've lost almost everything and every single day feels like a battle. It is a daily struggle for me every morning just to feel like I want to be alive.
2: Heartbreakingly, Andrew's father Kevin would later state the pressure from police and the guilt he felt for not finding Andrew, he attempted to take his own life. The only reason he is still alive today, the very moment he attempted to hang himself, the family priest showed up at the home and saved him. Andrew's parents have never changed Andrew's room or changed the locks because Andrew left with his house keys. They want him to be able to let himself in if he wanted to return home. His big account remains open but hasn't been touched since his disappearance.
1: Andrew Gosden, um, he was 14 when he went missing from his home in Doncaster on the 14th of September 2007 and was last seen at King's Cross about 11.30 on that same morning. Well, it's it's obviously had a profound impact, as I'm sure all the families in our position would say. And it's probably easiest to try and explain it is that your life seems to be split. And it's like it's on two layers. That at one level, you're functioning and continuing with day-to-day activities. But on another level, part of you is, is stuck... And just can't move on. And it's almost like having two separate parts of you, almost a bit like oil and water, and you're sort of keeping them separate somehow. But the sadness is always there and somehow permeates even into your everyday.
2: Andrew Gosden was 14 years old at the time of his disappearance. He was five foot three and of slim build with sandy brown hair. However, not long before he went missing, he spoke of his desire to dye his hair black, so he may have changed his appearance since going missing. He was last seen wearing a black slipknot t-shirt, black jeans, black sneakers, a watch on his left arm, and carrying a black canvas satchel with heavy metal and rock band patches on it. Andrew was last seen September 14, 2007 on CCTV cameras leaving King's Cross Station in central London. If Andrew was still alive today, he would be 30 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Andrew Gosden, please contact the missing person hotline on six triple zero. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.